You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Abema. Today we have uh, three guests zooming in from England. Uh, the first is Paul Nash. Welcome to the show. Lovely, so it's lovely to be back. Thank you for your invite again. It's very kind. And the second guest is Aroj Rashid Hussein. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And our third guest is Zamir Hussein. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. Today we are talking about uh, a groundbreaking book, A Guided Journal for the Bereaved Muslim Parent. Paul, could you tell us more about the journal and give us a little background of your work? As I've kind of shared in the past on different podcasts of kind of our values of doing multi-faith rather than interfaith and doing bespoke religious care. Uh, Zamir's uh, publications, particularly with Taha uh, publications, have really been a, a very, very tangible expression of, of that uh, value uh, that, that we have. And so about uh, just over a decade ago, um, we were very fortunate to get um, a government grant and they gave some money to develop paediatric uh, palliative care in the UK. And we were very fortunate to get some of that money. One of the first things we did was uh, to commission Zamir uh, to write, if not the first, but one of the first uh, booklets to support uh, families that had sadly lost a child within the Muslim community. And we reached out to Taha Publications and they are, they, their response was just wonderful, Saul. They, they were really interested in what we were doing. And uh, so that was the beginning of, of our journey and our relationship uh, with them when we did the first book, A Gift for a Bereaved Parent. And then a, a while later, um, we did uh, a book for siblings. Um, I, I won't, I mean, in the UK, we would call it Key Stage 2. I'm not sure how it translates to um, uh, an American schooling system. So it would be kind of eight to 11-year-olds, that, that kind of age group. And so Zamir's second book was um, for uh, bereaved siblings. Uh, which was called We Will Meet Again in Jenna, which is just, if folks go and search for it online, there is just one of my favourite images uh, in any publication um, of, of a Muslim child meeting their sibling uh, in Jenna in heaven. I mean, it's just, it warms my, my heart and my spirit every time I see it. And so Zamir had this idea of a journal to complement uh, the existing book a gift for a bereaved parent and we reached out to Taha um, uh, uh, to see if they will be interested and um, I'm not sure that this translates of a, as a very Islamic friendly phrase uh, but they bit our hand off to our elbow uh, to say <laughs> to say that they were keen um, they were hugely complimentary uh, about Samia um, uh, and their previous two books, senior editor uh, Abia has just worked wonderfully with us 
uh, and with 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 Zamir to get us to this stage. Um, and it is only the the beginning of the next stage. Um, so so if that's okay as enough of a, of an introduction, uh, perhaps I'll hand over to to Zamir to give a little bit more of why we did the journal and, and what's in it and perhaps have some of the readings, if that would be helpful. The idea of the journal sort of came about because I wrote this book, the, the original one, um, in 2009, I think. And then my brother passed away and I was like uh, a mother sister to him because I would brought him up. And he passed away in 2013. And I, I always felt that having done all this research in bereavement, in what, you know, the resources that are in the scriptures, and that would be the most place to be able to cope with such uh, a loss. And, but I wasn't. And I was just shocked at how I reacted. I didn't want anyone to even say to me that, you know, pay condolences or anything, because I didn't want to accept that he had gone. And it just, I think it was um, a basis for for writing this journal, really, to normalise grief. And uh, I felt that the, a lot of the things that were being said to me were quite prescriptive. Oh, you know, it's God's will. It was meant to be. And of course, you know, uh, that had its place. But I felt emotionally that I was just really, really surprised at how I was. And the pain, the amount of pain and emotional stress that I felt, I even got that ill that I ended up in hospital. It just made me realise that we need to have something that can humanise grief, that can accept people's emotions and that can support and, you know, be non-judgmental and can be gentle and compassionate and yet still be anchored and focused in the faith. So that was my intention of, of writing this. And also my background as a life coach and a teacher, I felt that helped me in my own experience of um, being able to hopefully uh, fulfill those objectives of being gentle and kind and, you know, and, and loving and supportive of people, no matter what they're going through, how the reactions are, that is okay. That it's okay to cry, it's okay to grieve, and you don't have to be some sort of, you know, person made of stone or where you don't feel anything, and and that means your faith is strong. So Aroge as a publisher, this is really monumental. Could you tell us why you felt this had to be published and by your publishing company? There are many, many important reasons behind that, um, some of which have already been mentioned, but one of the main reasons why Abia wanted to commission this and really work with it so closely is because it was a form of healing for her, really personally. It wasn't just an opportunity to provide hope and strength uh, for the masses. Uh, we recognise that there was a massive gap in terms of finding the right kind of therapy um, support, but it was also a very personal, personal journey for Abia uh, with her experiencing loss in in various forms. So there was there was another reason for why she was completely up for this. She recognised that she'd spoken to people herself who had suffered loss and didn't know how to deal with that grief, and she was also still essentially finding 
you know, finding it quite challenging to find that healing and solace in words. You find it, alhamdulillah, in the Quran. You find it in the hadiths and the surahs. But sometimes it's it's a little bit cold when you have um, people offer you condolences or check in with you. The words sometimes seem a little bit insufficient, I find. And that's why I think when Abiyah saw Zamir's submission, she, for the very first time, it became very clear to us that someone's found the words, the words that don't seem so insufficient anymore. Um, and also acknowledging that grief is going to happen in so many different stages. And, and Zamir's submission, again, manuscript had captured that beautifully, beautifully from the different stages of denial and grief and blame, all the way up to uh, building self-care and restoration and having moments of reflection so for that reason you know we, we knew undeniably that this is something that that the world deserves to see because uh, sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves and this journal is very gentle and reminds us not to be. Paul your department is really contributing a lot uh, in helping children deal with grief why is journaling so important? Well I, I think it's those points that have have been said, isn't it, Saul? It's we one of the values that that we have in our team, and and this would be an issue around multiculturalism around the world. What we've tried to do is to help people take their their religious beliefs and their culture and their current place in which they live. Uh, uh, equally seriously, and so what we've been able to do with 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 Samir's idea of the journal and Taha really liking it is to to honour, as you've said, some very established uh, evidence based ways of of processing uh, feelings, and in this case, in this case, bereavement. But would it being done? In the context of of the beautiful writing and the uh, Quranic verses and imageries within the book, to inspire that reflection from within the faith, um, and I've I've always you know this has always been a very very difficult tricky journey for me because I I want members of my team I want Samir to be the very best Muslim that she can be. But I also want us to be mindful of where we're working for us. We're working in the UK, um, of which we we now have third, fourth generation children um, within different uh, cultural and faith communities um, that are would understand themselves as British. And so what we've tried to do is to really honour their religion, but really support them within the culture. And as we know, culture is described as, you know, as common as the air that we breathe. And so it's that element of which of normalizing that religious care within it, within each culture. And so far, the the current books have sold a, a, around the world. So clearly it is um, resonating in in different cultures and in predominant. Muslim countries and cultures as well. So, so we we think we've found that right element. Um, but with the journaling, we we want to honour within the Muslim faith the 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 authority of the Quran and and of teaching and of the Hadith and 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 of that teaching. 
but what we've done is tried to rise to the challenge, uh, which I think Zamir and Taha have done beautifully to create the space for people to honestly explore their feelings. Um, uh, and that's not always easy to do. And, th and this isn't a particularly Islamic issue, but when somebody says, oh, it's been a year now, you should be over it, or, oh, well, you can have another child, or, oh, it will be okay, it's the will of God. Sometimes, as, as, as we've said, we might theologically believe that, but does it really get to the very heart to allow and facilitate people to reflect uh, on, on their own feelings, on their own processes, on their own struggles, while still feeling they can be, in this case, a good Muslim? And I, and I think that the, the journal, this journal, has, has held that tension uh, very, very well to to honor both sides of, of of that of that journey for 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 the muslim community yeah uh, zamir uh the, the journal really utilizes good quotes from the quran and the hadith and uh it's it's really it's a good illustration of uh faith as a meaning making construct as we deal with grief uh why those specific quotes to prompt uh expression of feeling <laughs> Well, as we know, there are thousands and thousands of scriptures, and but I, I divided this book into um, chapters in lots of different headings, and then I tried to um, pull out the most comforting and the most compassionate scriptures that I could possibly find that would go with that. So, uh, for example, this poem is called I Hold You in My Heart. Oh, my beautiful child, through the gift of you, my heart now enters the heavens as part of me resides there now. My existence now expands the dimensions as our eternal love binds me to higher realms. I see you happy, giggling in delight and joy, free of all notion of pain and suffering. You are flourishing in loving care. Your soul now exists in perfect truth and harmony. I miss you, oh my beloved, and my heart hurts. I gaze into the shadows, hoping to see you there. I smell your perfume as I hold your precious belonging to my heart and yearn for the life that could have been. I imagine you running into my arms and our laughter descending music through the seven skies. I accept that you are no longer with me and I cannot hold you close or wipe your tears or watch you grow. But my soul hears your whispers of comfort, embracing my heart, assuring me that Allah is the best of planners. I now have the balm of anticipation and the soothing mercy of my Lord assures me of our reunion. When all separation will end and all the veils will lift and we will be together forever. I hold you in my heart with peace, my beloved, until we meet again, for Allah's promise is always true. Uh, uh, with that, we'll take a little break. Again, our guest is Zamir Hussein. She's the author of A Guided Journal for the Bereaved Muslim Parent. She's joined by Paul Nash and Aroj Rashid Hussein. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Bem and we continue our conversation. Uh, before the, uh, the break, Samir read a beautiful poem. And Aroj, could you uh, talk to us more about that and your thoughts about the poem? Absolutely. The reference um, to I smell your perfume um, and I now have the balm of hope. There are a lot of beautiful sensory references in this poem. And Abia kind of stepped back and it being so personal and deep, she thought, what could we gift readers with along with the book that could still retain that beautiful attachment to their child whether they're gifting it to someone or whether they're buying it for themselves so when we have the book launch taking place at Birmingham Hospital as well for this book um, and when this book is released and it is now so when it's purchased by customers we will be offering um, a free vial of perfume um, it's very soft scented, uh, rather uplifting and soothing, so not too strong. And that vial was designed again by Abia um, so attentively in, in ensuring that memories of the child are captured in that scent. That scent could be placed on the sheet, that the white sheet that's usually put over the child during the burial, um, and it can be kept by the parent themselves. So there's that beautiful kind of gift that it comes with the book um, to honour the memory even more. Um, and speaking of the poem at large, when it's really interesting actually looking at how the ideas that Zamir had um, come forward with have actually developed over time and that's quite symbolic in itself when when I was looking at the initial initial manuscript that Zamir sent the poem was um had very very long lines it had kind of I remember it running across the entire page and Abia spent quite some time with Zamir making the lines enjambement so the, the technical term to split um line lengths um, in a poem and, and rather it being a large block of a text, like one large stanza with long lines, um, actually splitting them up into little stanzas. And the stanzas wouldn't just appear on one side of the page like a generic poem would. It actually flows like that. It reminds me of the tears that we were talking about earlier, the fluidity and a movement of the stanzas from left to right. Um, and that kind of it flows over two pages that again as a very symbolic and intentional decision to structure the poem like that again holds the the reader's psyche in mind the fact that we want the reading of this poem to be gentle we want there to be spaces around the stanzas where the reader can just take a moment to reflect if that stanza is getting a bit too much um you know and and even and make it a little bit more dramatic rather than it taking over the whole page having short stanzas and short lines just to allow the reader or the parent to just ponder over some of the words um so even the structuring of that poem has developed over time to allow the reader to just take a moment to reflect and a little bit of healing involved in those spaces, which I think is beautiful. And Abia has made sure, uh, with Zamir, of course, in in physically enabling those spaces throughout the journal. So spaces in terms of free writing, um, giving 
the parent blocks of um, or chunks of space for them to either draw, sketch, write, bullet point things, making it very clear as a disclaimer that you don't need to do it all at once. You can come back to it in your own time. So that very gentle approach is, I think, really respecting, really respecting how grief happens so personally and so differently to different sort of readers. It's giving them the space to redefine the journal as their own. There's no set way for this journal to be used by any individual parent. They can use it in whatever order that they like. Um, And that you can tell that from the way the book's been structured. And you've even got um, in different sections of the book, these beautiful pastel tones. You've got these very soft purples that are followed by soft, soothing greens, which you'll see on the cover of the book. Um, You've got these really lovely, um, gentle watermarks, these little symbols that look like leaves that are or, you know, developing from the corners of the page that also, again, Abia and Zamir sat back and thought, okay, what would what would be nurturing? What would feel like the reader is being loved, is being caressed, is being just handheld through this book without it just appearing too intense? So even the choices of some of the motifs, you can see they've been fainted. They appear quite faint and transparent. Um, and you've got, again, these lovely lovely light tones that appear um, throughout the book and they're repeated and again part of that symbolism again the repetition of those colors that little bit of consistency without it getting too distracting it maintains kind of the consistency of the book which is that this book is here to help you heal this book is here to provide spaces for reflection and if they have a look at the green section and they feel they don't want to do that yet, like the dua, the supplication bit, they can come back to it. They can go over to the blue section if they've uh, the yellow section if they feel that feels a little bit more inviting. So this is an incredibly sensory, sensory journal. And I think we were talking about the psyche of journals earlier. Journal is a very deep psychological experience. And, and you know, it shouldn't feel like a workbook. It shouldn't feel laborious or or cumbersome, it should feel organic. And I feel with these these images and these colours and the way it's been structured, Abia has ensured that the book just does that. When you hold it in your hands, there's something very solid. You've got this smooth mat of the cover, the hard book, the hard cover, you've got the lovely emblems. But then when you feel the inside of the pages and see the colours and the titles, it's very soft. So there is a real sense of respect and dignity and honour that has been captured in in the very making of this book. And again, bless Abia, she's she's worked really hard. I remember her saying this to me actually a few days ago, that this has not only been a labour of love, but it's been a deeply emotional experience for her because she has not only suffered parental loss, but personal, you know, she wouldn't mind me saying, but miscarriages. This is something that she said actually helped her heal a little bit as well and channel all of that emotion. So she said, Aruj, this is not an analytical editorial process at all. It's an incredibly emotional edit, is what she said. And you can see that. You can see that in the um, culmination of the book. Aruj, thank you. Thank you very much for explaining uh, the structural motif. Uh, It's really, it makes sense that this book is born out of, you know, real life real-life experiences, yeah. and a lot of thinking behind it. This book is going to help a lot of people heal. I also like that the, the reader can start anywhere. It's not starting from the first page and end to yeah. the final page. So the reader mm. has the autonomy to start anywhere and still find healing. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? I really like that. Well, we acknowledge 
first of all, that there are many, many different stages to grief. So even though we do loosely allow the reader to explore the journal and take a moment to reflect on any part that they wish in that moment, um, it also acknowledges that there is an element of grief and denial, a blame and denial, for example, but equally towards the end of the journals, again, quite metaphorically, you've also got that acknowledgement that I can move forward, there is hope, I can move past the grief and denial and I can get to a moment of understanding that I need to also love myself and that I need to look after myself and, and honour my child, but also honour the memories I had with my child. So yes, there is that fluidity and autonomy, but equally we can allow the reader to see that they might want to start with that, that a little bit of vulnerability first before they head straight to the hope, or they might want to start with hope right at the end of the book and work their way backwards. Um, and that again has come from um, a lot of research, uh, but also channeling that personal experience of knowing that actually I know that people say to me I need to have we've used the word suburb but what does suburb or patience actually mean patience also means to bear your soul to be incredibly vulnerable and raw but, but patience also means to find the strength in yourself to honor the memory of your child and be grateful and show gratitude to God for the gift that he give he gave you and honor your child in your prayer so it's it's always a fine balance so that I'm yeah, you can see that that has been established in many ways by um, Abia's design. There's um, a section where there's quotes from uh, bereaved parents. And one of the quotes I really loved, and I think it sort of captures what this uh, journal is about, is that it's a quote from a father whose son passed away. And he says that, that I want to become the person that I would have wanted my son to be. So I just thought that was so beautiful. And I feel that this journal will, for a Muslim person, and will guide them towards becoming the best that they can be. Like, you know, the, the love that they had for that child uh, will now, you know, it's encouraged to channel that love out into the world through mm -hmm. charity, through, you know, looking after other children. So, you know, to acknowledge what's happening and to use it to, to like, become a better person and to grow and to, and to make a difference in the world. So instead of having this dark shadow that everything's ended for me, uh, it's like a new beginning, but mm -hmm. it sort of is encouraged in, in steps throughout the book of how that can be done, like um, having a traveller mindset, you know, how to deal with emotions, how to acknowledge what's going on in your heart, how to empty the heart of unnecessary burdens and to open it to light and to love. So it's just little pointers and even one single page in there could just be that aha moment for somebody that can, that can change and redirect and, and open up a new pathway. So that was the intention and really that quote sort of for me so just summarizes what I wanted to do with this journal and what you wanted to do you've done it very well with that we'll take a little break again our guest is Amir Hussein she's the author of a guided journal for the bereaved Muslim parent she's accompanied here by Paul Nash and Aroj Rashid Hussein we'll be right back if someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. 
It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Bema, and we continue our conversation. Uh, Paul, uh, in the process of this journal, were there some consultation with bereaved parents? Yeah, it was always a, an important value with, within Birmingham Children's Hospital and within the chaplaincy team and Zamir to talk to bereaved parents um, about their journey and about their experience. And Zamir uh, did some wonderful one-to-one and small groups um, in, in doing that. Um, and that's just really comes through in, in the book of, of real life story and experience of not just being um, theoretical um, understanding. And, and from our funders point of view, Birmingham Children's Hospital Charity have been very generous in supporting Zamir. And that would be one of uh, their values as well of all the projects that, that they fund with us, that, that we get the, the voice of the people that we're seeking to support uh, coming through everything that, that we do. Um, and that's really very, very important. And that ongoing support that, that we offer to our bereaved families um, is just really essential um, that the charity pay for these resources for us to send to all of our bereaved families. Um, and they get these gifts of the book and then and forthcoming for the journal. Um, and, the, and the charities pay for that to send out to all of our bereaved parents. Um, and that's just really very, very important for us. Aroj? I just wanted to add there, um, Paul, uh, well said. Um, we are, as in Astaha, absolutely honoured to be supporting this cause. Um, and we just wanted to remind uh, listeners that the profits for this book actually go in supporting the uh, amazing, amazing work at the healthcare chaplaincy. Um, so we could not be happier to be a part of that. So, yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure working with them, both of you. So this is a question for all of you, but let's start with Zamir. Um, how does someone grieving make journaling meaningful? Well, uh, journaling, like it's been said, is, is very personal. And it's just the physical act of writing also seems to just relieve some of the anxieties and tensions and, and clarify things when things are put down in, on paper. And the physical act itself has, has a benefit because we don't tend to write too much nowadays, texting or typing. Mm-hmm. But there, there's lots and lots of physiological benefits of writing. So hopefully, and, and this journal like gives free permission, as Aruj said, to it doesn't have to be grammatically perfect or, you know, it could be bullet points, it can just be words, it can be a drawing. So it's just to, and sometimes when things are down on paper, they then have less of an impact psychologically as well so it it serves all those purposes hopefully um i was going to off the back of that actually um zamir i was going to say that this particular journal um, zamir and i we've added little writing prompts um with followed by an ellipsis so there's this free writing section at the back of the journal and it has things like one negative thought i am going 
uh, I am giving up today is, um, you know, one small achievement I made today was. So it brings the focus back to ourselves and that restoration. But my point is about the prompts um, throughout this journal and miscarriage one as well. Um, there will be feet. There will be questions where. And, and a selection of answers where, yes, they can write whatever they wish, but we equally find it's our responsibility as well to guide them. It is like a, it is a guided journal. I don't want people to um, get confused here that being free is just a question and you can you can write whatever. Yes, that ha that is a part of it. But we make sure that we provide very specifically worded prompts to prompt certain reflections and prayers as well because we're aware that we will need to hold the hand of the reader a little bit throughout the journal and sometimes when you are grieving it's very difficult when you get stuck in those feelings and in that dark place to actually describe um truthfully what it is you're feeling um sometimes you know when when you're going through all these um turmoil of emotions and someone asks you how are you it's such a loaded question like where do we start you know so i think having Having some prompts to say, is it anxiety that I feel? Is it um, a sense of hope? Is it a sense of guilt? And, and actually giving them those words and, and encouraging them to select them, to acknowledge them, and to then do something proactively with that, that is all built into the, the structure of the journal. I think the other aspect that we haven't mentioned is that it we've tried to, I think journaling appeals to different learning styles. So you can have the and different personalities. So from a personality, the introvert can sit and read. Um, but for somebody like myself as an extrovert sensory learner, um, I, I many times don't figure out what I really think until I speak or write. And, mm. and so just leaving me in my head really doesn't always bring great clarity uh, to me, which is why I enjoy writing so much. Um, because it, it it helps that different uh, developmental style, learning style, uh, engagement, personality, uh, and can give the, the time and the space for the person to sit and read um, and look at the, to read the words, to look at the pictures, mm. and, and that whole multi-sensory different appeal of uh, journaling, and particularly this journaling, this journal, because it is as with all of Zamir and Taha's resources, you pick them up and and although the topic is heartbreakingly sad, every publication is is the first word that comes to you is that it's beautiful. And, and that's just really important to, to us uh, that these these are gifts. Um, and we give them, as we say, to our families and support them on their journeys as we continue to be in touch with them. Um, over many, many years during their faith journey, we don't just send these out to to the families. Um, and so we're, we're, we're very, very pleased to be able to partner with Taha and our charity and with very gifted people like Samir to be able to produce these bespoke resources that we offer them as, as free gifts for people to find solace uh, and comfort uh, within whatever worldview they bring, whatever their faith, um, and, and produce these bespoke resources for people to respect their autonomy, uh, but to support them in any faith and belief journey that they go on. And this journey is a wonderful contribution to that portfolio of resources. I love this journal. Um, 
this is the best gift you if you're listening this is the best gift you can buy especially during the holidays uh, grief becomes really complicated and much harder and i encourage you to get this journal a guided journal for the bereaved muslim parent uh guys thank you for coming on the show thank you thank you for having us Thank you, Saul. It's wonderful. And we'd be pleased to come back in the new year and tell you about the uh, the new resources in the in the new year if you if if you'd like Absolutely. to that was Amir Hussein. She's the author of A Grounded Journal for the Bereaved Muslim Parent. She was accompanied by Paul Nash and Aroj Rashid Hussein. Our operations director is Melissa Caprellian. Our studio engineer is Brian Markender, and I am Saul Obama. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to this show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.